us to read the Bible this morning. So I'm going to read from us from a beautiful passage in 1 John, chapter 4, 7 to 12. So read with me. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God, thank you for your word. Uh, we need it now uh, as much as ever. Um, so help us to apply ourselves to it in this next little stretch that we might truly love one another. Well, there's a fair chance that, uh, like me, you've been watching more TV than normal during the lockdown. There's just not much or as much else to do. Uh, and in between being totally absorbed by the Olympics, and I wonder if you watched the women's high jump final like me last night, amazing, what a godsend they've been during lockdown. Uh, and the Tour de France earlier, which I love watching every July, there was a week with not much on, except for Farmer Wants a Wife, which I have to confess I really enjoyed. Uh, in the same way that you, you, you can't not watch a car crash, there's something so incredibly awkward about these isolated, fairly straightforward farm boys trying to navigate their way around finding love um, amongst uh, a bevy of ladies who join them in their quest. I mean, you feel very awkward uh, as these ladies kind of line up like a range of cold meats you might choose from the deli. It's, it's awful. And you feel just as awkward as these guys who are more at home herding sheep try to find a spark of romance from their little flock of women. I was often looking at the TV like this. I can't watch it, but I can't not watch it at the same time. And one thing you heard the farmer say over and over again was it was all about the spark, the chemistry. That was what they were looking for. That was the thing that would, would ultimately sway their decision. And I thought, how different is that to our common life together as Christians as we try to love one another, which is the topic of the day? Firstly, there is no choice. I mean, we might get to choose which church we belong to. Um, but we have no choice as to whether we will love the other people who belong to us. We're just told that's something you have to do. And secondly, the whole spark, the whole chemistry thing is completely irrelevant. In fact, it's, it's much more likely to be a long grind than a spark of romance. More about patience than about chemistry. And so today we're going to find out what might motivate us to do just that, as well as think about practical ways where we can love one another. 
Now, just to introduce the series, a while back I gathered together all the one another instructions from the New Testament. Every time one of the apostles says to the early Christians, be patient with one another, teach and admonish one another, live in harmony with one another, and so on. There's actually so many of them that you cannot help but notice the basic fact that the Christian faith is to be lived out together in community with each other, in relationship with one another. And I grouped uh, all these instructions into similar or like commands, and we're going to unpack them over the next three weeks. And then for the last three weeks of term, we're going to look at kind of congregation-specific issues about relationships, uh, like friendship, marriage, dating, ageing, and parenting. And I think this One Another series, as Andrew said, will not only be a great kind of foil or counterbalance to our recent time in Ezekiel and in the Gospels with John Dixon, I think in God's providence... It's the perfect series for us as, we, as we're separated from one another in lockdown. Well, love one another is the topic for today. Uh, and I hope you've got your Bibles open there in 1 John chapter 4 because in 1 John chapter 4, we see that love begins with God. Love begins with God in every sense. See what I mean from the opening verses in our passage that Rhonda just read for us. Verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So love comes from God. Love begins with God. Whenever I get gloomy about the state of the world, I think about the arrivals gate at Heathrow Airport. General opinion makes out that we live in a world of hatred and greed. But I don't see that. seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, none of the phone calls from people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around. They're the opening words of uh, the all-time best romantic comedy called Love Actually. And Hugh Grant, who quite ridiculously plays the role of the British Prime Minister, says, Love actually is all around us. Yes, Prime Minister, it is, sure. But where does it come from? I mean, love might be all around us, at least in the world of romantic comedies. But where does it begin? Well, it begins with God, uh, in every sense of that word, begin. So very obviously, the Apostle John, Jesus' best earthly friend, states it as such in verse 7, love comes from God. But even more inherently, love comes from God because God is love. Whatever else you think God might be, patient, holy, just, wise, angry, unmoved, removed, Jesus' best earthly friend, who saw God the Son up close and personal for at least three whole years, says God is love. And the sharp ones among us might notice something quite remarkable about those three little words because John doesn't just say God is loving, that is using the adjective, the describing word, in the same way the scriptures describe God as holy or wise or patient. He says God is love using the noun, the thing. 
But to my knowledge, Scripture doesn't say that God is patience, just that He's patient. They don't say that God is wisdom. They say that He is wise. They don't say that He is holiness. They say He is holy. And yet right here, they don't just say He is loving. They say He is love. In other words, love doesn't just describe God. It defines Him in a way that nothing else quite does. And if love defines God, uh, then it's just as true that God defines love. It, it begins with Him in every sense of that word begins. And any hope that we have of loving another person is because God has shaped us for that and shown us what it looks like. The love that is actually all around us at the Heathrow Airport arrivals gate is only there because God has shaped human beings uniquely to express love to one another in a way that no other creature under heaven, no other animal, not even a dolphin or a chimpanzee or a Labrador can match. And so love comes from God. It, it defines him. But he has also shown his love to us. He's demonstrated it. And he's done that before you or I ever showed love to him, perhaps even ever showed interest in him. Let's read verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Before we showed him love, God showed us love. Not only in creating us and giving us life and breath and everything else, but also in saving us, in sending his son into the world to give us spiritual life. It says he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's sometimes called a propitiation. Big word. What this means is that when Jesus died on the cross, he took upon our obligations, by which I mean our penalty, our guilt, and he absorbed the righteous anger of God that burnt against our sin because sin must be punished. It cannot simply be ignored or minimized or swept under the rug. But propitiation means that we are no longer guilty before God and God is no longer angry with us. I wonder, Christian, if you really know that. If you trust in Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross, his propitiation, you are no longer guilty before God. And God is no longer angry with you. Can you think of all the things human beings do to try to deal with their own, their own failures, fallibility, fragility, in the vain hope that they might somehow be acceptable and guilt-free before God? But it doesn't work that way. In fact, it works in the reverse way. God takes the initiative. God sent his son. His son is our propitiation. His son absorbs God's rightful justice. Jesus absorbs God's anger and he removes our guilt. And this is the ultimate expression of his love for us. This is love, not that we loved God. Our love for him never comes first, for he has taken the, the initiative. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son into the world to atone for our sins, that we might live for him and through him. And so love begins with God in every sense. And the follow-on in 1 John chapter 4 is that we love one another. You see this in verse 7. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. You see it in verse 11. Dear friends, since 
God so loved us, we also ought to love one another, which all sounds kind of obvious, doesn't it? Although I would have thought it would first say, since God so loved us, we also ought to love God. But John almost elevates love for one another onto that same level as love for God. Well, I wonder in watching the Olympics if you saw the medal presentation for the 200-meter backstroke um, swimming race. Kaylee McKeown, the kind of cheeky 20-year-old champion, invited Emily Seabohm, 29 years of age, the eldest stateswoman of Australian swimming and the bronze medal winner, onto the top podium with her. Now, perhaps it's making too much of all this, but it's almost like this Olympic medal ceremony, the gold standard. Love for God says to the silver, love for one another, come stand on the top spot with me. Love for one another is so important, I want you to share the podium spot with me. Jump up onto the top with me. Now, I wonder if you ever think about your fellow Christians like that. I wonder if you ever elevate your love for brother and sister in Christ, and I'm not just talking about the ones you naturally click with, onto a par with your love for God. I wonder if you ever walk along Dali Road on your way to church thinking to yourself, I'm about to exercise the preeminent privilege and responsibility in my Christian life. Love for my fellow Christian. How would that alter our expression of church if we thought that way? How would it alter our experience of the Christian life if we thought that way? Well, our love for one another is motivated by God's love for us. And it really is elevated, extremely high. You know, the Apostle John says, uh, also says, it's one of the true tests of whether you're a Christian at all. You see that in verse 7. Everyone who, has, who loves has been born of God and knows God, but whoever does not love does not know God. Slam. Or down in verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, his, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us, so you can't see God, but I tell you what, if you Christians love one another, you almost can. And if you were to slip back a chapter, just turn back a page to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Hear these telling words. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And so we love one another, motivated preeminently by God's love for us. But also because it's one of the real tests that we're Christians in the first place. I mean, John even states it so bluntly and blankly, as if you hate a fellow Christian, you do not have eternal life. So that is something to chew over, isn't it? Well, lastly, we love not with sentiments and platitudes and wishful thinking, but also with actions and truth. So still with your finger stuck in uh, 1 John chapter 3, let's read verses 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 
Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And I think John means let us not love with mere words or speech alone. I mean, sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to talk to someone. Uh, maybe just taking an interest in them, maybe warning them, um, which we're going to cover next week as we look at the topic of teach and admonish one another. Sometimes the most loving thing you can do is to talk. Uh, sometimes it's rather to listen. But John is saying that love is more than um, mere kind of empty platitudes. You know, all the best. God bless. God be with you. Thoughts and prayers. When you're in a position to offer practical ground-level love. So love begins with God. He shows it to us by sending his son. We are motivated by him to love others. We do that with actions and not just words. Well, how, ma- how might we do that at St. Matthew's Manly? Well, at the moment, as so many of us are confined to our households, the most obvious opportunity is to love with action and truth in our families and our households. I think if you um, think about marriage, for example, if you only ever apply the words of Scripture that are specifically about marriage to your marriage, you're going to miss most of what the New Testament says about your marriage. So husbands, think, how might you practically love your wife with actions this week? Especially if she's been charged with helping the, the kids with their schooling during lockdown. Or, you know, if it's the other way around if that's how it's arranged in your household, like it is in my household for most of the week? Could it be that if one of you takes charge during the day, the other takes charge during the evening? I'm sure you could think uh, carefully about little acts of thoughtfulness that make a difference throughout the day that perhaps the other person sees and goes, I can see what you're doing there. Or perhaps they don't even see, and yet it nevertheless makes their life easier and better. I wonder if you ever say thank you to one another. Could you say, you know, I can see what you're doing with the children. In fact, I I don't even see it. I'm out. But I know that you're doing it, and I know how tough it is. Thank you so much for doing that. I know there's a whole bunch of you, and you do things for your spouse that nobody else sees. Maybe not even the person not even your spouse who you're trying to love. They don't see, they don't understand. Nevertheless, God sees. So let me encourage you to keep going. Parents, if there's parents here, if you only ever apply the words of Scripture that are specifically about parenting to your children, you're going to miss most of what the New Testament says about parenting. So parents, how will you love your children with actions and in truth this week? Perhaps by being extra patient with them. Uh, maybe you live with a friend, you're, you're a flatmate, your flatmates together are housemates. And you think, how can I love my housemate this week? Maybe if you're the one who's most relaxed about keeping the bathroom free of mould and hairballs, maybe you could be the one who takes a bit of initiative on that front. Uh, this would be a weird conversation to have, I imagine, between housemates. But, but could you have a conversation that went something like this? Do you know, if you'd have said to me 18 months ago, I'd be stuck in an apartment with you and no one else, that would have been a horror movie. I am so grateful, though, that you are in my life. It would have been so much more difficult without you. Could you say that? Would it make a difference to say thanks? 
We're beyond our households and our families in lockdown. There, there of course, are opportunities that abound to share, uh, to lend money or even give it without any expectation of repayment. One of the uh, delights in my job uh, is that I see this sort of thing going on all around, all the time, and I'm sure I don't even know the half of it. But of course, if that's going to happen, you'll need to have a sensitivity to the needs of others. You'll, you'll need to listen carefully when you're talking to people or when they're sharing in growth group on a Zoom call. And it's not going to be easy if you're mostly preoccupied with yourself and where you're at. And actually, if we're going to be able to do this as a church, it can't just fall to the pastoral staff members that we are trying to get around households. It can't even just fall to the growth, gro- the, the growth group leaders. I mean, they're trying to lead your group in difficult circumstances over Zoom. It really ought to fall to growth group members rather than the leaders to make the calls, to express the care, to take the interest. It, it doesn't work if everyone is just sitting there at home waiting arms folded, going, no one called me. Why couldn't you be the person to pick up the phone and make the phone call? Now, speaking of our growth groups, some of our groups have been using materials based on uh, a book called Love Your Church by Tony Merida. Well, this is what Merida says on the topic of loving or caring for one another. Most of us will not die in martyrdom. Rather, we will be called to spend our lives serving others little by little, doing good things for our friends, our neighbours, families and church members. We'll visit the sick. We'll take groceries to an elderly couple. We'll listen to a wounded brother. Welcome a foster kid into our home. Visit a shut-in. Take cookies to a neighbour. may not be as heroic as martyrdom, but it still requires death to self, and it can all be done in the name of Jesus. Friends, we love one another with actions and in truth, not empty platitudes and hollow sentiments. And even in lockdown, opportunities abound. You might find yourself not being able to do anything more than pray. Well, you pray. But I'm sure there's lots that lots of us can do. I mean, tonight, when you're planning out your week ahead, how luxurious does that sound? Could you plan to surprise someone with an act of kindness or an act of goodness or an act of love this week? What would it be like if we each did that every single week? Well, of all these one another instructions in the New Testament, none are as consequential as love one another. That's what I think anyway. I mean, it's no romantic comedy. It's less spark and chemistry and it's more grind and perseverance. But man, love one another takes us into the very essence of God. It's, it's at the centre of the most important thing that God has done for us when he sent his son into the world for us. It reveals that we are truly Christian and it provides for the ground level well-being of people we didn't choose to love but who are nonetheless our brothers and sisters. And so for all those reasons, let us love one another, not with mere speech and words, but with actions and in truth.